So there's certain things that I never thought I'd have to deal with when I first started this podcast. One of the things that took me by surprise were emails that I have gotten from listeners asking me if I knew someone they could go to to try and improve their family relationships. I looked around and there weren't too many counselors I felt comfortable referring Mormon fundamentalists to. I did, however, find someone who I think could be a godsend to some of those who've reached out to me. Her name is Liz Bradley. I talked with Liz quite a bit on the phone before I had her on the podcast just to make sure she was who I thought she was. Now, Liz is an emotional breakthrough coach who is interested in helping people heal both spiritually and emotionally through a religious lens rather than just trying to mask symptoms. In our conversation, we talk about what the difference is between what she does and traditional counseling. We also talk about what made her decide to set up and start her own practice. We then move into how the atonement of Jesus Christ factors into her techniques for helping people heal. That and more on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Look, it's no secret that our society has become much more crude and coarse. To become and raise men and women of virtue and character is a Herculean task. To help with this, I have recently wrote and published a book. Now, back in the 1700s, Washington had a book called Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. It was a book with 110 rules that talked about how to conduct yourself like a civilized person in society, something that today's society is sorely lacking. What I did is I went back through the book and I reinterpreted his original sayings for the 21st century. So the book is laid out in a way in which you see Washington's original rule. Right below that is my explanation for the 21st century. And below that, you'll find two or three examples of where to use this in the real world. Now, to go along with this, there's a workbook that helps parents teach these principles and practices to their kids. To find the book, go to mormonrenegade.com, go to the bottom of the page, search out the blog post, and order your copy today. I can bear personal testimony from personal experience that this is an invaluable tool to help you raise men and women of virtue and character. you doing i'm doing good how are you good so like we've bumped around a little bit on some common facebook group pages and we know some uh, a few few people and when i saw what you were doing i was fascinated and i i knew i wanted to get you on um and and we'll dive into that more in in just a minute but real quick let's give the audience a chance to get to know who you are so your name's liz bradley and Mm -hmm. and were you always a Mormon? Did you grow up Mormon? I did. Yeah, I was I was born into it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Lived in Utah? No. Um I was born in a tiny town in Idaho. Um but and my parents, my dad had a farm that he'd had generationally. Okay. And um he long story short, there's kind of a problem with water in the area, which made farming harder. And um when the farm wouldn't pay for itself, when he had to go off the farm to make money in order to keep things going, he decided to move us. And okay. so we went from tiny, tiny, looks like a truck stop town in Idaho to uh, Southern California. Um, not wow. LA, but a city which at the time was similar to... I don't know what to compare it to because I don't know where your listeners are, but not a large city, but a city in like a moderate sized city in, in California. Gotcha. Um, what was the name of the town in Idaho? Urban. Say what? What was the town in Idaho? Um, Arco. Well, oh, okay. So Arco was the hospital where I was born. Okay. But I, my parents lived in Moore, yep. which is where King Mountain is. Yep. And King Mountain was named after my ancestors. Okay. Okay, cool. Now, I actually um, 
I spent a lot of years in Idaho. I was up in oh. Boise um, and then almost to the Oregon border, a little town called Parma. And then uh-huh. um, also uh, lived in Shoshone, Idaho for a little while, about 22 miles okay. north of, of Twin. And But man, I traipsed all over that state early in my my career. So I uh I I know where you're, where you're talking. So nice little area. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. So so you moved to California and then is that where you spend the rest of your teenage years? So we moved there when I was about 4 and we moved away from there when I was 10. I was only there 6 years, but I honestly would say that I grew up there because okay. that's where a lot of formative things happened. Right. Um so we moved to Orem, Utah when I was 10. And um, then I lived in Orem until uh, until shortly after we were married. And then when I was just after I had our first baby, um, two weeks after um, I moved out to California where my husband was already there doing military training. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you've been all you've been all, all over a little bit then. Yeah, and then after that it was Texas, Nebraska, a little stint in Utah, um Florida, Georgia, Arizona, California Jeez. again, uh North Dakota, then Idaho. Not not necessarily all in those or that order, but so in North Dakota, was he in the Air Force? So he got out of the Air Force, I think two thousand eight, okay. and then continued working as a contractor, doing okay. similar work. And um, when in twenty twenty, uh, his company, after months of encouraging him to get the shot, let him go. Oh, yeah. oh, so in North Dakota, where, where were you at North Dakota? Oh my gosh. I'm having a blank. I think Grand Forks, Grand Forks, Grand Forks. My I, have to, I don't, I just had a total. No, it's all right. It's I all right. Can't remember. We spent some time in North Dakota as well. We were in Minot and then lived in, yeah. in, in Grand Forks as well. So that's interesting. Yeah, I think so Grand Forks. I... He got the shot, and then they cut him. No, he did not get the shot. Oh, he did not get the shot. Okay. So they technically did not state that as the reason, but after months of the pressure, and then the night before we re- he received the call, they had sent everybody in the company the form to upload their vaccine status, and then the next morning we got the call. Oh. So... We can't absolutely say that it was because of the shot, but it was because of the shot. Everything kind of points in that direction. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, there are, there were guys that he worked with that didn't lose their jobs. Like they still have their jobs, but the company won't assign them anywhere without the shot. And so while they still have their jobs, they're not really working. Oh, so they're that, not really getting paid. That must've been stressful on you guys. It was. Uh, we went back to his income based on what he could get in the local area we were in um, was about what he was making when my oldest child was a baby. Oh, no. Years ago. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, it's been it's been real. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Well, that's I horrible. Know. I hope he finds something else. He is working into something else right now. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. And now, it, I feel like this might be a good place to make this jump. Is that when you decided to open up your own uh, practice to start coaching again? Yeah. Uh, no, it was more recently. Okay. And I mean, I contemplated it uh, throughout that time, but um, the Lord really wanted me focusing on other things, and that's what I did. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, real quick. You're a, an emotional breakthrough coach, correct? Yeah. Okay. Can you, and, and one of the reasons, the main reason I brought you on is that within, in my community, and I want to stress that, that Liz is, 
an active member of the LDS church, but she's got no problems with fundamentalists, right? We'll just, we'll just get that out of the way. Um, but one of the reasons I had you on is because as I've looked around fundamentalism, just like all people, right? We, we get classified into groups and sometimes we think, well, because I'm a part of this group, I won't have the same kind of problems everyone else does. And certainly there's, there's something to be said for that, right? Typically, if you're a Mormon, you're not going to have a ton of problems with tobacco, right? Just because of culture and those sorts of things. But you could, you could, it, it can happen. Mm-hmm. By and large, general, generally, right? Making a generalization, that's not something you struggle with. However, I do think that there are things that people go through that are ubiquitous to humanity um, mm-hmm. that just come with, with being human, right? I think we're all broken to some extent. I think we all got garbage we got to clean up in our own lives and, and baggage that we carry. And unfortunately, again, with with being in, in cl- our classifying ourselves into groups, um, sometimes that allows us to get put into positions to where if we needed to seek the help of another person, like a life coach or a counselor or something like that, it becomes a little more tricky, especially for fundamentalists, because now you're th- there have been stories that are true where where fundamentalists have gone to counseling and then the counselor says, well, you're all screwed up because you're living this way and this can't work. And so the family breaks apart. However, that, that doesn't mean that we still don't deal with some issues that we could benefit from talking to another person. And so as I've had a few listeners reach out to me, asking me for those kinds of resources, I've kind of drawn a blank. And so I had kept my eye out. And as I was just scrolling through Facebook, we're, we're Facebook friends. I saw that, that you had opened up this practice and I was like, okay, this might be, this might be something. And that's when I reached out to you. So real quick, what, what does an emotional breakthrough coach do? So what I, what I like to do is, um, so we all have, we have goals and we have aims both about things we want to accomplish, but also about how we want to be. And um, as followers of Jesus Christ, there are certain things that we want to let go of in our lives and ways that we want to heal and become better. And what I do is I help people identify the things that are in the way and using the scriptures and, and principles that I've learned over the years, I, um, I help people to kind of move past those things. Gotcha. And how did how did you get into this work? I mean, it seems like it's not something that you take a test at school and they're like, you should be a life coach, right? I've never seen that <laughs> or, or an emotional breakthrough coach. How how did you f- think about this as, as like a career path? So um, in a lot of ways, my entire life has been preparing me for it. Um, it really... So at a really young age, I experienced um, abuse from mm-hmm. someone outside my family. And um, I, so really since the age of about four or five, I have been studying principles of healing. Okay. That's the way to put it. Um, my foundation in the gospel really saved me from a lot of things. Um, going to church every week and singing, I'm a child of God helped me to know that while I was dealing with enormous amounts of shame and feelings of, uh, filthiness, uh, from that abuse, that, that wasn't me, that, that was, and it, it did take years of working to sort some things out because when you're a child, you can't even, you can't even articulate the problem, let alone, you know, get the help you need. And so, but as I clung to the foundation principles of, I have a heavenly father and he loves me and I'm his daughter that grounded me. And it wasn't easy. I, I, it was a lot of work, But as I held to those principles and principles of repentance and principles of 
um, the Lord's power to heal. Um, the atonement was a really big part of it. Um, and then I had a lot of life experience. Plus I read everything I could possibly read. I, I went through personal development programs and certifications and, um, you know, all, I even, I have done, I had had some traditional counseling for me. It was a stumbling block, the traditional counseling because of things like, well, because counseling and, and therapy cannot bring you healing, they will tell you, you can't heal from this, mm. but we can teach you how to cope. Um, this is why people drink and are addicted to drugs. I was just going to say, it sounds there's like. no living and kill themselves because there's no living with it. There is no living with it and there's no coping with it either. It's, it is a, the destructive things that happen from abuse and other things are so pervasive. And when you're only offered coping mechanisms and medication <laughs> and those things don't work, that is why people, that's why they take their lives. They've lost hope. And so for me, one of the reasons that I feel so strongly about bearing a witness of Jesus Christ and his, his ability to heal us is so that people have hope so that they're not looking at what the world has to offer and going, this is all there is. And I cannot live this way. I can't. Um, so that there, there is a hope for them. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, and there was a whole bunch of other things that I went through that are, you know, we can't get into everything. We don't have sure. time for my story. Um, but I think that's a good, sure. a good explanation of how I got here back in 2010 or 11 was when because I've been you know learning all of these things forever but that was when the Lord really just told me everything I have given you is meant to share right and so when I started coaching but I took a break because I had five kids that I needed to homeschool and focus on and it just was not the, the important connections were just not happening when I was trying to also be running a business. So, yeah, you know, there is so much there that, that just, it definitely um, resonates with me. One is, is that the idea of, we can just teach you to cope with it. That seems to be something that's all throughout, not just it, it's creeped into everything. Right. So if you go to the doctor, a lot of times it's just, let's just alleviate the symptom, right? Let's not yeah. get down to the root cause. Let's just alleviate yeah. the symptom. The problem is, is that those system, those symptoms can then come back, right? Because your system, your, your, excuse me, your symptom will build a tolerance, so to speak, to whatever yeah. therapy you're doing. Root causes, then, then your body, your emotion, your soul finds another place to say, right. hey, I have a problem this isn't solved and and this has creeped into to mental health as well right because what we see right. is that and and i did a great big long episode with this with a, a woman named ann blake tracy who is um just a bulldog when it comes to trying to wake people up to the dangers of psychotropics right and the over prescription mm -hmm. of psychotropics right. and and it's just treating a symptom and then the other thing we find is that well, okay, you treated that symptom, but now this medication triggers something else or has these negative side effects, and we never get to the root cause of anything. And it just, it goes goes by the wayside. And I I want to be careful here not to not to say that all counselors are this way. I, I know no, that there are good, good I, I Look, I've never admitted this on, on, on this podcast, but I'll, I'll admit it here. Um, I... I practiced plural marriage once before, uh, and I'm a polygamist again, and that marriage fell apart. And I had a lot of baggage with that, right, that I just didn't deal with. And I didn't understand it at the time, but the Lord kept just prompting me, you got to go, you got to work this out. You need to talk to somebody. And so um, 
I sought out a counselor and found a really good one. Right. But, but she even told me, she's like, what I talk to you about here, she's like, I don't talk to 99% of my patients this way because I can't, right? Right. Because right. I, I legally can't. But she was big on the atonement and the gospel and the things that you talked about. And so right. I didn't realize it, but I was... And that right there is actually why I haven't sought to become a licensed counselor or therapist because then you get into the world where you are legally not allowed to speak the truth that people need to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in my case, it was just something of, I needed to, to process that baggage. And she was just, she was there to help me. Um, but right. it was someplace I could go and be like, yes, I was a practicing polygamist. I had a marriage that fell apart and I didn't realize it at the time, but the Lord was helping me you know, prompted me to work this stuff out because there was somebody else he was bringing into the family and I, I needed to have my, my baggage squared away. Right. I had to, and, and for a guy like me, that was humiliating. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I was the kind of guy that's like, you don't feel good, eat some steak and lift some weights. You'll be okay. And, and, and so, you know, that's, that's how I dealt with it now. Right but I didn't realize how much there I had to unpack until I started the process. And then um, I remember there was just one day where she was like, uh, you know, unless something comes up, I, I don't think you need to be back here. She's like, you can go. And then like six months later, Tanya joins the family. So um, I think sometimes we have baggage that we don't re- recognize that we have. We think we've dealt with it, you know, right. whatever, but, but it's there. Yeah. And so unless you have somebody that's willing to bring in the atonement into these conversations and bring right. in bring in those gospel principles, you're never going to get to the root cause. You're just going right. to continue to mask symptoms and those symptoms will get worse and worse. And just like you said, then there's there's no sense of hope. And- well, and so there, like you said, there's good counseling and not good counseling. And one of the concerns that I've had is I've watched is that a lot of it seems to be, well, we want to get rid of shame, but because we're not founded in the truth and the gospel, what we're trying to, we normalize things instead of saying, no, it isn't okay, <laughs> but it's changeable, right? right? It's changeable, healable, you know? And so, um, so that's one of the differences for me too, is I, I'm, I'm not seeking to normalize anything that God says is not a good idea. And so there's, it really comes, it, it's go back to the scriptures and find out is, is a big part of it. Right. But there's also things like there's the thing, thing that's interesting is that whole, you can't change. You have to cope with it. It's not even true from a neuroscience uh, standpoint, as I've learned some more things and I'm not a neuroscientist and I won't get the terms right and everything. But there, there are literally, there are ways that neuroscience knows that you can change even the patterns that have already been set up in your brain, right? And so, and to me that goes, I'm like, well, of course there is because God said we could change. Right, right. Yeah, that's absolutely. What, that's what repentance literally means is to change. And so we have, we have a point of agency by which we can change, but we do need the power of God in order to fully change. And right. only he can do that. But there has to be a point of choice. And what I don't like about the you'll never heal, you'll only cope thing is like they're eliminating my choice. That what they're saying to me really is somebody else did something to you and you have to live with it for the rest of your life. <laughs> that just doesn't make sense to me. No, so, and, and it's the opposite of the, the promise of the atonement, right? right. It's, it's the opposite right. of the promise of Jesus, which is, I, I can heal you, but you right. have, you have to approach me. And sometimes right. I think we feel so broken that, that we're, that leads to some doubt or some unbelief of. Well, and when we, so even, even as Christians, sometimes we 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 respect too much the philosophies of men mm-hmm. and the 
opinions to the point where we we only seek to justify and excuse and understand instead of seeking change and healing because we either by the world's definition everything is okay right right or the world has told us that we can't change so if we believe if we forget to bring in wait a minute there is a god i have a savior that means that i can change then we then we can admit safely i messed up right <laughs> i've broken i've got some screws loose i've got some misdirected wires and cross connections but god can help me if you think that the only hope you have is in your excuses you will never admit you'll never admit to your 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 wrongs and if you think that the only way to find love and belonging is to have an excuse you will not admit what's wrong Mm -hmm. and you'll ground yourself literally it's damning that's literally damning to you that will stop your progress it will stop you in your tracks you it will anchor you in your sins and your misgivings and your wrong thinking um but it's not because you can't change and it's not because you can't be forgiven it's because you won't admit that something's wrong. In the New Testament, there's a, a place where Jesus tells the scribes and Pharisees, if you admit that you're blind, then you would see. Right. But you keep that you see. Therefore, you keep your blindness. And that's the same principle. Um, if we believe that our our salvation, our love and belonging are dependent on our ability to justify and excuse ourselves, then we don't admit. And that means that what we really, the problem we really have is that we don't really believe in Jesus Christ and his redeeming power. Right. Right. That's a hard thing to admit as a, as a practicing Christian, but really if, if you can't admit that you're wrong and that you're flawed, First, you're denying that you're in a you're a fallen being, which we are, and then you're denying that you need a savior. That's right. what that means. If my salvation, if my love and belonging, success, and everything depends on my being a perfect person, then I'm actually denying the need for the atonement and the savior. Um, but it's really common today, and part of it is, I'm sorry, part of it is because. Traditional therapy is seeking to help someone be okay with who they are and what they've done without God. Right. And right. that, and when, as our society has pushed God to the side, even as Christians, you know, if we're living in this fallen world and if we forget that, then we seek to be normal instead of seeking to be holy. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, you you kind of started to allude to it a little bit, but as as we had our first phone conversation, um, you had mentioned that that one of the principles that really drives your practice is accountability. Oh yeah. Can you dive into that a little bit? I mean, like, I could see how on the surface it could be counterintuitive if you've had someone who comes in who has suffered from abuse, how accountability is going to tie. I, in- I- speak to that from experience. Uh, So one of the hurdles for me for healing um, was I chose to go to the place where the abuse occurred and I didn't have to be there. And even though I didn't have the gift of the Holy Ghost, as I opened the gate, I felt a distinct warning do not go in here. But because this person was trusted by all the adults around me, by the authorities around me, and because this person always gave me candy, I to this day hate it when people use candy as bribes and rewards for kids. But um, I brushed aside that warning and I went in there. Now for most of my life, people said, well, that wasn't your fault. That wasn't your fault. But what that really did was keep me from applying the forgiveness that I needed 
right? So even though I was four and the abuse was not my fault, going in that gate was my fault. And that, and that sounds, some people, I know people are going to scream out, oh my gosh, you can't hold a little child accountable for that. But you know what it did? It freed me, hold myself accountable for that. And instead of turning and excusing it, saying that was my fault, I did do that. I betrayed myself and I, and, and to some degree betrayed the Lord in that moment because I didn't heed him. Um, and then I could say, but through the atonement of Jesus Christ and the love of God, I am forgiven. Right. And then I'm free. And you know how empowering that is? Because on yeah. top of that, it gave me the power later in my life when there were authorities in my life telling me that I needed to do something. And God was giving me that exact same, do not go in there warning, then I had the power to say, I don't have to do this. I, I, I know what happens when I don't listen to this warning voice yeah. and, and that gave me safety. So accountability. And the, the thing is, there's a, there's a support, a foundation that goes under accountability that makes it safe for you to be accountable. Yeah. And that, there is a God, there is a savior. And because of him, I can change. And because I am his daughter, I have a divine nature and the sin that I've committed and the mistakes that I've made are passing events in my life. As long as I turn them over to him, they don't define me because my divine nature from God defines me. Now you put that underneath you and then you turn and you go, okay, that means that I can admit that sometimes I mess up because it doesn't mean I am a mess up. And I could admit that I have done bad things and even had bad intentions that I did something based on fear instead of love, um, that I... I misapply, I, maybe I had good intentions, but applied them poorly or, or what, whatever it is, I, I can admit that I did these wrong things, you know, because, because they don't define me. I'm a daughter of God and that defines me. And all the rest is just things that I either can, I can choose to hold on to, or I can choose to let them go through the power of the savior. Yeah. You know, as a guy who wasn't Mormon to start out with of any type, I found I was really only naturally gifted at two things, uh, football and drinking my face off like that. That was it. Those those were seemed to be my two natural talents. And the, and the drinking became a coping mechanism. Right. And then right. a, a very unhealthy one. And I remember there was a moment at which I had to look in the mirror and really say, you're kind of a dirtbag, right? And just own it, right? <laughs> just own That's a hard it. Moment, right? That's that moment sucked. I mean, sucked where, yeah. where it's just you and yourself and you realize, you know, either through the, the painful um, fruit, because of the seeds that you've sown that something's not right or someone tells you that, Hey, you know, maybe pricks your heart a little bit by talking to you about some things. And you right. have to have that uncomfortable moment of being, being ruthlessly honest with yourself. And it's that prodigal son thing. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, you're good. And, but it, here, here's the thing I discovered you're in, in those moments, you're faced with two options, right? You can continue to blame everybody else or every right. other circumstance, right? or at least I could for my drinking or which is, could, bond. which is what bondage. Yeah. Which is bondage. Well, they're in control of you. Yep. Or you can just own it. Now, here's the beautiful thing, and I, and I think this is kind of what you were talking about. When you own that, when you say, 
okay, you know what? Yeah, I got dealt a crappy hand in whatever fashion. And I got hurt. Right. And it really doesn't matter whose fault it is because mm -hmm. I'm here now. Right? right. And the only thing that I can control is how I respond to that. Right. And when you just take back that bit of ownership, that little bit of, of being able to, to um, say, you know what, this is my garbage I have to deal with. Well, now all of a sudden you're empowered. And that's a much different thing than being beholden to right. circumstances or events or yeah, people that harmed you. Mm -hmm. You've taken that power back and now you can make the appropriate changes. One of one of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament is when Christ is and it's in John. I can't remember what chapter, but he's healing the man at the pool of Bethesda. And um, Christ asks a funny question. And he tells he tells the man, he says, would thou be whole? Now, for us, we think the Savior saying, would you be healed? Well, the dude sitting by the pool for the last however many years, it sounds like he's been there a while. And the man says, yes, but here's what the Lord was saying. That word whole, that's, are you ready to stand up? Are you ready to have a family? Are you ready to have a career? Are you ready to be kind of self-actualized in some ways? And what I find interesting, even more than that, the Savior saying, I'll make you whole. I'll make you self-actualized. I can help you heal. The, the response I find most interesting isn't from the man himself, but from what the Pharisees say. Because right. they say, wait, who told you you were healed, right? <laughs> who, who has that authority, right? Who told yeah. you you were healed, right? And, and in some ways, I think the Pharisees really can represent a lot of the structures that are in our time now, right? Right. Um, mm -hmm. Because I do think that there's a certain amount of control and there is a certain amount of uh, gratification, both monetarily and praises of men that these structures take, right? Obviously, this man's getting fed. I'm guessing he's getting fed from some sort of system that's in place. Mm -hmm. And now Jesus is upsetting the apple cart and say, become self-actualized and do this, your, you know, begin to be whole. And, and yeah. I find that that ties in really interestingly enough with, with how it is we are, are approaching counseling and healing and those sorts of things. Right. So yeah, what are some? I, of the I think I think some of it, like what you said, um, what it made me think of is it's um, one of the hindrances that people have for healing is while they don't like some of the negative effects on them, they kind of like it as the excuse, you know, right? Like oh, I I can't do that because, or well, this is why I'm that way because instead of taking the responsibility of making the changes that, that need to be made. Right. And so, um, sorry, I just had someone come to no, talk to me. You're good. Anyway. So, um, anyway, so yeah, one of the hindrances that we have to overcome is that we're willing to let go of the excuses and take accountability for it. But again, if we, if we, keep underneath us that foundation of God is real. He loves me. I'm his child. Then we can get courage from that to take on the responsibility to stop using the excuse and to move forward. Perfect. Let's, uh, let's move along then. I don't want to keep you. It sounds like you, you got stuff to do. Um, yeah, sorry. no, you're good. What are some of the other principles that drive your practice? So, to be really simplified, it would be um, identity. You know, I'm a child of God. God is real and I'm his child. Accountability, we just talked about. Uh, gratitude and faith. And gratitude, so a lot of people, when they're in a in a hard situation or especially trying to overcome something traumatic, um, they've kind of lost, they don't have faith in God um, as their protector, as their provider, you know, whatever. And gratitude it builds up our, our evidence for faith. And so using gratitude is a really great, it's a really great way to go from um, 
I don't know if I can trust God, right? To, well, I know I can trust God because here's what he's already doing for me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And then so tool-wise, I, you know, I use questions, visualizations, writing. Um, those are a few. Okay. Um, let, let me ask some questions then that, um, well, let me ask this and then we'll move on to that. Would you say that, that your practice is goal oriented? I mean, when you see a client come in, do you say, okay, what, what are the goals and how do we achieve those? Cause I'm a real practical guy, right? I want like step-by-step step instructions. Yeah. So there, there is from that standpoint, it is goal oriented because what I would say is, okay, what, what is your intention for this, for this visit? What is it you're looking to identify? What is it you're looking to achieve here? Mm -hmm. What is it you want ultimately? Okay. All right, cool. And um, let me ask you this now, now we're going to get into your um, practice specifically. Do you have a, a certain age group that you tailor to? Or is it across the board? I I have done work with teens. Um, I also do a lot of work with moms. Um, I have worked with people that are older. My, I would say that I will work with anyone who's ready to work. Okay. All right. Who want, who, who's ready to to do something different? What when when someone comes in? and I hate to put a litmus test on anything, but when a person comes in, when, what should, what should, well, let me phrase it like this. What kind of things should be exhibited in a person who's ready to make the appropriate changes? Is it just the act of being there? You think that's the first step. So the first step is to reach out. Um, someone should be willing to admit their and be trying to figure out what their part is so that that we can move in a productive direction and that someone should be willing to ready to work in a productive direction by looking for what they can do so for instance if i was working with a couple and i was working with them individually uh separately um if the person was talking to me and all they could talk about was what their spouse had done wrong. Then I would stop the conversation and I would say, well, you're the one that we're going to be working on today. So let's talk about what your part is in this. Okay. Maybe the situation is not a hundred percent your responsibility because there are two of you involved, but since you are the one that I'm talking to, we're going to, we are going to stay focused on what you can do. Right. So. Okay. Good, good deal. So, and that yeah. brings me to my next question. And, and this is going to get, th these are the fundy questions. So okay. um, do you work with couples? I would, yeah. Okay. Would you be comfortable working with, say, like two sister wives? Sure. Okay. All right. And then. Um, my, my goal would be to, to help everyone function in, in, in a marriage in a way that brought everyone the closest to each other and to god right right and and i i won't get into specifics here because i want to respect respect your privacy but we had a conversation on on the phone and and i never plug something unless i'm damn sold on it right because mm -hmm. i've developed a relationship of trust with the listeners but right but i i feel like after talking to you I would totally be down sending someone your direction because I know who you are a little bit. And, and that, that speaks volumes, but fundamentalists, you know, there's, there's unique dynamics there that, that I think mm -hmm. that if you were to even walk into a traditional counselor and say, Hey, this is our goal. We want to have, you know, I, I want to be a better husband all the way around. Or, you know, if it's two sister wives, we want to learn how to build a, a good relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. And I don't think most counselors are, are down for that. They don't even know how to broach that. Oh, well, I, I think in any setting, 
it really comes down to consecration. Right. Every person involved is willing to put what is right first and not who is the most important first, but mm -hmm. make God the most important. Then everyone can find unity because everyone, nobody, it, it's then, you know, we talk about submission and stuff, but the whole purpose of submission in any setting is that we're submitting to the Lord. Right. So it's, it, it's not who's the most important, who came first. It's what is the will of God for me in this situation? And, um, the, we all have to overcome our insecurities right. in order to do that. And it, you know, it means that some of the problems that I can see in, in, in marriages with, with multiple partners is that there, well, we see in the scriptures, we see that there can be competition. There can be raising of one above another. Um, you know, Jacob was rather foolish in being openly preferential towards one wife. And he created dissension among his children and his wives because of his failure to say, well, no matter how this happened, you are now both my wives and you're both, it is my job to be a representative of God's love to you in this situation. And, you know, thank goodness the Lord was giving the love and the, <laughs> the things necessary, but you see in there that there are some, some weaknesses that, you know, could have been remedied had, had Jacob been looking at his wives from a heavenly perspective instead of a worldly one. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can sure understand why he would feel pretty betrayed by Laban sure. with the deception that happened there. And that, you know, yeah, he had naturally chosen um, Rachel, but then he also had to deal with Leah, who he had not chosen. But here again, we get into that same thing where we talk about, we can't control what someone else does to us. But if someone lets their dog come and poop in your yard and you leave the poop there and you just whine and complain about it, whose fault is it at that point? Right. And who's suffering the most, right? Like right. your kids are going to suffer because the poop's in the yard. So you can either take a shovel and, you know, dig it into a spot and use it for fertilizer. You can take the hose and spray it down and it becomes fertilizer for your lawn. But if you leave the poop sitting there, right? like, you know, somebody did this thing to me. Now I'm going to let it affect my family. That's, you know, that's on you. So I think even when it comes to multiple people in a relationship, any setting in which everyone is willing to overcome their, their pride and their insecurities and put God first, there can, you can find harmony and unity in that. Perfect. Perfect. So real quick, um, I just want to say, if 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 you're a fundamentalist and, and you're struggling in your family relationships, don't be satisfied with that. Don't be complacent about that. Take some steps to rectify that. And if you need help, I again, I've had a private conversation here with Liz that I more than feel comfortable sending somebody to her. Seek her out. Get the help you need. Um, Liz, real quick, how can people find you? So I'm, I'm rebuilding my web presence right now. So the best way to contact me is either through my email, lizkingbradley at gmail.com or by texting my phone, uh, which is 912-484-5621 and, or messaging me, uh, private messaging me on Facebook is a good avenue as well. Perfect. And I'll, I'll put links in the show notes to that so folks can find you. But, okay. but really, as I just want to say this. As fundamentalists, we should be exhibiting healthy families, right? Um, if, if what we want... If you believe right, then you need to stand as the best witness you possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we, we've ceded a, a lot of ground in allowing 
uh, other alternative lifestyles to be way more represented than ours. And, and mm-hmm. I feel like it's time to take that back. But in doing that, there, there is some responsibility and onus, right? If, if people just see that, that, you know, our families aren't functioning as well as they should, or, and, and, or that, that, you know, some, some shady stuff is going on, get that cleaned up, seek Liz out, get the help that, that you need. She'll keep that all confidential. Um, she she it guards it like a bulldog like any counselor or anything else and so really go go seek her out um so thanks so much Liz thank you so much I appreciate your time it was a pleasure to be here thank you for having me see ya can't get enough of the Mormon Renegade podcast well good news we're on Patreon and there's three packages that you can choose from the first one the slightly rowdy package allows you to hear the podcast without all those pesky commercials getting in the way. For those who want a slightly more in-depth experience, there's the Stirring It Up package, where you can hear ad-free audio, ad-free video, and transcripts. Finally, for those who want to go full Renegade, that package is available too, where you can get everything in the previous two packages, plus an extra show where myself and Ben Winfield break down the news of the day from a very Mormon point of view. You will also get exclusive access to Renegade Chat, and on there you'll be able to talk to others about the show or whatever topics are on your mind. Go to Patreon today and get your exclusive content. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by DeseretFlag.com. I've said this before and I really mean it. Mormonism isn't just a religion, it's a culture. As such, it has its own vernacular and practices, but also its own symbols. And those symbols become even more important and prominent when you look back into our history. Perhaps one of the most recognizable symbols of Mormonism is the Deseret flag. This is the flag that I use as cover art in this podcast. This was also used for a good chunk of time during the Pioneer era in Utah. Now, today we have people who want to replace the existing Utah flag with some other progressive monstrosity. Well, I think it's damn past time that we start pushing back here a little bit in Utah. Our friends at Defending Utah are here to help you with that. Now, if you go to DeseretFlag.com, you can now purchase your own Deseret State flag. It's time here that we start making ourselves known and join the resistance against those who seek to rewrite our state's history. Go to DeseretFlag.com or check out the link in this episode's page show notes and get yours today.